in three, two, one, get your frog burgers ready, because we're here with another Framecast. How's it going, Drew? I, I actually watched that th this morning, and I was really entertained. You did a good job with that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Do more. <laughs> I always appreciate starting off Framecast with a compliment to me. Yeah. Uh, I also want to say I was really entertained by your latest Arbiters. They were very enjoyable. Uh, you managed to hold yourself up very well in the face of chaos. Was that the one that I had a mental breakdown on? Yes. Did okay, you... cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, got, I recorded another one since then. I'm really curious what that will be about. If you guys want to see it, you can download that with a free season pass on the Casino Galleon on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, today we're not here to talk about videos. We're not here to suck each other off and give each other compliments on each other's com uh, content. We can do that another time. Uh, but we're talking about DLCs, expansion content in 2020. Uh, because, Drew, you came up to me and said, there's something going on with the Pokemon game. We talked about a Pokemon game a couple weeks ago, but some has happened. They're bringing out new DLC, and we need to talk about this. What's going on? Right, okay, so... We've already started the year fairly hot with PC getting the updated expansion of Iceborne for Monster Hunter World, mm -hmm. which basically forces you to... Uh, what's called download the whole game again. Congratulations for anyone that has like a slowest shit internet connection like I do. But the big one that hit the news was Pokemon Sword and Shield having downloadable content for the Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people are up in arms about this, which it is interesting. There are a lot of viewpoints. There are some points which are, well, why aren't these Pokemon, these older Pokemon, already available in the game? Why do we have to download them via a DLC, right? So mm -hmm. I did to, to elaborate slightly, over the uh, course of this expansion pass, which is two DLCs, they are releasing an additional 200 older gen Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Right, so they're re-putting them back into the game, and a lot of people are taking umbrage to the fact that this is happening. Oh, um, webcam! So, <sighs> webcam, come on. So the webcam. idea is is that uh, the Pokemon game, which released a couple months ago, we talked about in the Framecast, they're adding new territory in it as form of a paid DLC, and with that paid DLC comes the opportunity of exploring these new territories where you can capture 200 old Pokemon which weren't in the game initially, which caused a big controversy because it was the first time that you couldn't catch old Pokemon. So people kind of feel yeah. like they're being... They, they've been they've been given back their Pokemon, but now they have to pay for it, right? Yeah, so people are feeling swindled that, you know, that this isn't just available... Uh, as like a free part of mm -hmm. the update. But regardless of that, the other side of things is that the expansion is only unlockable per... I want to say platform. I mean, per per set, per region, per... God, how do I... How do I per version. There you go. Yeah. That sounds gross. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
you either buy the expansion, you buy the sword expansion for sword, or you buy the shield expansion for shield. There is no universal expansion, which also people have kicked off about. So if you have both games, sorry, hiccups. If you have both games, then instead of spend, so buying the expansion once for both of them, you have to buy them once each. Yeah. Right. So people have issue with that as well. Mm-hmm. So do you want to go more in depth about the Pokemon topic or that you want to bring this up as an example for something that's happening now with DLC and expansion packs? So I think one thing that I want to I want to lead towards this is how, what is the impact that it has on Pokemon? Mm-hmm. How are communities reacting to this um so negatively so to speak and what it means for the cost and things like that and what it means for other games Mm -hmm. right so to talk about the impact on pokemon right so i've spoken to a few people about this and the number of people that have turned around and said like you know this this isn't how it happened before this this is this is completely different from you know, what Nintendo would do before. And in the past, Nintendo or uh, Game Freak would sell rehashed copies of the same game. So Mm -hmm. we're talking, we had Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, and then we had Pokemon Emerald, which was effectively the same game, but with extra plot after the actual completion of the ba- uh, the the badges and the gym challenge mm-hmm. then we had uh pokemon black and white and we just had black and white too right <laughs> we had yeah no it was mm-hmm. like and then it's um pokemon sun and moon i think we had ultra sun and ultra moon i mm-hmm. think you know and but this time it's completely different we don't have a, you know just re bundled versions of the game we actually have dlc content now i think this is a positive thing Mm -hmm. for the pokemon franchise the reason why it's happening now is because the older generations of handheld console did not have expandable memory Mm mm-hmm Right. Yeah. So you you couldn't put a memory card in. You couldn't put in a oh, what's the name of the damn thing? Um, a micro SD card. You, none of that happened. Right. All the game save files were on the game cartridges themselves. Now with the Nintendo Switch, it's stored on the device. Right. So I remember when you messaged me and asked me if I started a new profile on the Switch, would I be able to play Pokemon? scratch and not affect my save file and the good news was yes you could mm-hmm. right because it was saving on the device i personally think that taking pokemon into the dlc territory is a step forward right typically i don't feel that with a lot of games right but with pokemon i think it's a good idea and it has potential it has potential to go wrong don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but I think that I would prefer to buy DLC, that's half the price of the full game, than buy the full game again. Yeah, I think that what you're saying is it is 
better that there is DLC than if there was no DLC and this new upgraded or added content would have been sold in a way that was just a brand new game that you had to buy for 60 bucks, right? Yes, no, I'm totally saying that. Yeah. Like, full, full retail price for a minuscule amount of content mm -hmm. at the end just doesn't feel worth it. Plus, nothing stops Game Freak from just doing, oh, like, we've got two new regions. Well, what happens if they turn around and eventually have, they've released eight new regions? So I think that uh, I agree. It is better that there is a capability to add more content to a pre-existing game than to build an entirely new game or actually like sell an entirely new game, which is 95% the same game, but 5% new extra content, I think. As a value proposition, that is a better choice. However, I think I, I feel this is a discussion which people have had a long time ago when we went from from games on cartridges and discs and like local stored games in towards the online world, where all of a sudden we could add in a DLC. All of a sudden, you could add in content on the go. Uh, developers could continuously add more content towards their games, allowing for games like Warframe and Destiny 2, and also games like Call of Duty to add in extra maps as bonus maps. However, I think that the thing that people are wary about, and I think that might be also a point which you might be wary about, is that it is better if a game were to have a little bit of additional content that that is released as a DLC or an expansion rather than a brand new game that you have to separately buy again. However, it is problematic if the uh, the percentage is thrown around where they sell you, like Anthem kind of did, sell you 5% of a game and then release the next 95% as expansion packs, which you can buy over the years so that they can milk out more money out of one single title. I completely agree on that. I mean, I know a lot of people have said to me that, oh, DLC, sorry, not DLC, Destiny 2 is like really good value for money. It's amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. Like, I can appreciate that a lot of people feel this way, mm -hmm. but my personal grievance to Destiny 2 is the simple fact that I paid full retail price plus the the season pass so it was 65 pound on mm -hmm. battlenet before the game came out right and it only had six hours of playable plot on launch mm -hmm. right that was something that i was really i took grievance with i i genuinely felt offended and ripped off right mm -hmm. like that that might be a bit overkill to say but still, it felt really bad, mm -hmm. right? When I can buy, uh, for example, let's let's make a direct comparison in terms of game length. I can buy Pokemon for fifty pounds and play thirty to forty hours on it to to complete the base game, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think that. The important difference for you between something like Destiny 2 and a Pokemon game is that for the same price, practically speaking, for the same price, the one game offers you at launch six hours of playtime and the other game offers you 12, even more, 
way more playtime than the other one. So if you're looking at the amounts of playtimes at launch, you're definitely looking at looking at a worse deal with Destiny than you were looking with Pokemon. Yes. I, I typically heavily value whether or not a game is worth the money mm-hmm. based on the amount of time it takes to complete the plot. So right? I, I think that one of the important things which we're going to have to look at right now is what is the difference because we know that there is a difference between a game like destiny 2 and a game like pokemon or a game like warframe and a game like call of duty uh what is the exact difference as far as it is relevant to the topic between these games because on the one hand you have destiny where on launch it has only six hours of playtime, which you would say if that was an exact same game like pokemon why does this even exist? This makes no sense. Look at Anthem. However, what you see with Destiny is that over the years, whether you like it or not, the thing has grown out to a much more bigger encompassing game. And yeah, you would have had to pay for all the expansions that were added on. However, right now, it's way different than the game it was back then, whereas the Pokemon game you could have bought back then when Destiny launched would have stayed pretty much the exact same game so there is a difference between the two and maybe if i have to theorize i think that the difference mm, it's a it's a tough cookie because if we if we boil it down okay go ahead to to jump on what you're saying so Mm -hmm. you first off you're not proposing that um pokemon uh crap what are they called what 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 are are the sword and shield you you're not yeah you're not proposing that pokemon sword and shield if it were to be released back when destiny 2 was released it would have the same content you are referring to the fact that pokemon back then which probably sun Mm. and moon yeah um doesn't have much in terms of growth which i completely agree with you because of the way it was built it did not it was not built with dlc in mind Mm-hmm. And I think the the key fundamental thing to do with DLC is whether or not the game is built with this kind of progressive expansion um, or continual integration that uh, the what's called Destiny Two has been built with. I remember the game Evolve. Do you remember this game? Yeah, I remember it. I have. It was it was a four v one, four people versus a giant monster. The very first thing that was announced about the game was that it would be having DLC content, right? Mm -hmm. Not the type of game, not the genre of game. Nothing else was announced about the game apart from the fact that it would have DLC content, Mm -hmm. right? What kind of uh, a launch message is that, right? When did they announce this? in relative to what well just like a general a general like time frame in which they announced that the big thing would be that it had dlc see if i can actually find it because well like do you have a rough idea oh god it was years ago man um because most likely what might have happened is that it was around a time where dlc was becoming a more popular option because like the internet and online play was a more accessible thing, especially with the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox 360. It was for the very first time that consoles actually had hard drives and you could actually do this download thing and it made sense and people were getting used to it. So it it would make sense for for them to come out and say it has DLC. 
as the idea of maybe they were trying to figure out how to say that this might become some sort of life service, even though by that time the life service idea wasn't fully realized or fully formed as a concept in people's minds, but they were like, imagine this game is no longer just a static game which you buy and will stay the same forever. You are buying this game and it will evolve. Cue, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, cue, cue credits. Cue, cue credits. Um, with um with time which was i feel especially like 10 years ago a really big selling point because i remember when i would have like the new call of duties come out and they would then have dlc like that dlc felt special because for the first time like why would a game just be what it is and why would it not be made better over time that made no sense at a certain point for me because it was like well they can do this why don't they do this However, I think that the the key point which we're looking at right now is the integrity of a game compared to its DLCs or like based off on its DLCs. So if I have to break that down, I think that we're fine with having a game like Pokemon say, hey, I'm a game like Pokemon, <laughs> which I am a solid game. You buy this game, this entire game is what it is. But we might add on one or two extra things, like Call of Duty did as well. And you can buy these as, expan as expansion packs because they're small little downloads and it would make no sense if we had to like re-release the game. And you can buy them if you want to. You cannot buy them if you want to. Like You still have a full game. As opposed to that, you have games which are like Warframe or Destiny 2 or as a famous example, infamous example actually, Anthem, which are we start out from here and we're going to build on the game and the game becomes what it is through the actual DLC. The expansions that are being added to my game are what make the game. It's not like we have a set game where we add a couple of things on there. I think that those two things are very important in the way that we view it. Because if you can have a very thoroughly enjoyable experience and feel that you play the entire game without the DLC, then you won't be bothered as much to, by the fact that there is DLC, like a couple of extra maps to like play zombies on. It's like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, I played the game, I played what I bought for. However, if you were to buy solely like the first six hours of Destiny, and then that would be it, and you'd have to buy in to experience the thousands of extra hours which people are spending in it right now, you would feel like cheaped out. I, I very much agree. I mean, it, uh, I, from my research, very brief, um, I can't find when exactly the Evolve announcement was made about mm -hmm. the um, the DLC being the first thing, the controversy. I can find evidence that the controversy did exist, and I know that it um, was before 2014, mm -hmm. right? Or at least um, before mid-2014. But... Beyond that, I don't know exactly when the announcement was made. I would not be surprised if it was made in 2013 yeah. or maybe even late 2012. However, that's besides the point. Hmm. I do feel that games that have DLC content like Destiny have the opportunity to grow beyond the limitations of the initial release, right? I believe mm -hmm. you said that me a moment ago. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that it can be healthy for games to go like, oh, we made a horrible mistake with this. Let's dramatically change it. But at the same time, I think that it's important that if the game is a game as a service, like World of Warcraft, like uh, League of Legends, like Warframe, we have to respect the fact that sometimes the game developers need to change things radically to make the game relevant again. Mm -hmm. But likewise, if the game is an off-the-shelf product like Borderlands 3, right mm-hmm. and the developers try to treat it as a game as a service and then do something wild and wacky like make all the good guns completely irrelevant right then the the game is going to tank right and i believe the game has tanked before the launch of the first dlc because of this very fact so would it be right in saying that there is more of a expectations with what you buy sort of thing can you elaborate on your question so when last week not, not last last week we last week we didn't have for frame guess <clears throat> last awesome. time we talked about pokemon we kind of concluded that it would be maybe favorable to pokemon to create a live service game so then yes. they wouldn't have to like rebuild every single game again and like everyone could just buy in and then there would be expansions in the form of new regions but you would be able to keep your pokemon and it would be one giant big pokemon world yeah and this step into adding dlc to a pokemon game which has pretty much never been done before could be a signifier to to something like that in the sense of how people are afraid right now where it's like oh they might be adding whole heaps of content and we might have to like buy all of that this is not the entire game we're having so in that sense people are afraid that the game that they expected they would buy would be the entirety of the game on that single cartridge turns out to maybe i fairly very much do not expect it at all maybe turn into a game where there is a lot more content which you have to pay for to download extra, which, because you expect it to be an off-the-shelf on a cartridge game, is problematic. Whereas if you were to buy into... Well, I mean, I have some examples which aren't the greatest examples, like Anthem and Destiny 2, which Destiny 2 went free-to-play and Anthem is Anthem. But... If you went into Destiny 2 and you thoroughly enjoyed that from launch, you bought into it knowing that it would be it would get expansions because that's the the idea of the game and you would not be opposed to oh my god they're adding expansion because that's not what you expect. So, I believe you're asking me, would it have made more sense for Game Freak to announce before Pokémon Sword and Shield's initial release? that is coming with DLC later on down the line. Yeah, sort of, yeah. I honestly don't know. I think part of the problem back then was the fact that uh, Dexit was Mm. such a big thing. You know, Mm. I'm pretty sure um, people like Jim Sterling... um, Crap, what did he say at the end of his, his videos? Thank God for me, that was it. Yeah. Um, which got James Sterling, thank God for him. That, you know, 
he was one of the advocates for Dexit, mm -hmm. which um, I was not. I could appreciate the fact that there was a ludicrous number of Pokemon in the entire thing, right? But regardless, I think if they had made an announcement that, oh, yeah, what's called during the whole Dexit thing, we're going to be doing DLC and you can buy back into an additional 200 Pokemon. That would have gone down so much worse. Right? Well, it, I totally get where you're coming from. Hmm. I, to I totally feel hmm. that, you know, you can absolve things like Destiny 2 from a lot of its underwhelming, what's it called, story length nature because it was announced that it would have DLC to follow it to expand the plot. Completely get behind that. And I do agree with you. I don't I do necessarily think... think it's the announcement because it's the expectation of what the game is. And like, and this is what I'm trying to figure out. What's the difference? What's the essential difference between Destiny 2 and Pokemon where well, it's because what's the essential difference between a live service game and a more traditional game and the idea of expansion of DLC? Because when Destiny 2 came out with expansions or DLC, which was paid, by the way, people weren't up in arms about, oh, there's new content because, of course... Uh, that's the way that a live service game functions. However, I, th I think. Go on. However, I feel with the Pokemon case, I think Pokemon serves as an interesting example in the sense of it's a prime candidate for something like a live service game, but it's still more of a traditional game, and it's it's adding in DLC. And what will DLC then mean for more traditional games and live service games? Because we've seen live service games fail horribly because they were over-promising all their DLC. And even, like, what does it mean for a life service game to launch? Does it need to launch at $60? I think those are really interesting questions. And could we, like, like I think that those are more interesting things to look into because in Pokemon's specific situation, there is also the underlying theory, which I've been looking into a little bit, that... Um, the last Pokemon, the last two traditional Pokemon games that released on uh, the Nintendo 3DS sold over 17 million units um, worldwide. Then Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu releases on the Switch, which is an entirely different take on Pokemon, more adapted from Pokemon Go, and it sells a mere 7 million units. And you might be, boo-hoo, 7 million units, but it's like compared to... 17 million that's a big difference and the switch has been around for i don't know three years for three four years around this time it's been around for quite some time actually wow uh so if pokemon still wants to put out a game which is very like, like which is a very well-known classic switch game like let's go pokemon let's go eevee and pikachu will not be the classic success on the switch because it wasn't. So the theory is that they put out Sword and Shield because that at least they had something which sold which well. Which so far it sold 10 million units, which is better. It's still not up there with the previous generation. However, that might have meant that this this production was a little bit rushed. Hence that Dexit happened. Hence that. Uh, there were less Pokemon in there. And now that they're adding in DLC because they've been able to work on more content and they're adding that back in, and so come new Pokemon. Now, the interesting thing to note there as well, because I think that's also a delicate situation, which is more towards the intricacies of the Pokemon game specifically, not necessarily DLC at large, is that they're adding in 200, new po 200 old Pokemon to which people might say, well, they're putting that behind a pay gate 
they knew that in advance. It's like on the one hand, maybe. On the other hand, you can still get these Pokemon if you get them for if you get them through trades, if you get them through like your old system via the Pokemon Cloud. Uh, you just can't capture them in those regions. And you might think then, well, that's a little bit unfair, isn't it? Well, let's say that you're fine with people buying expansion passes for new regions. Wouldn't it make sense for those new regions to not have different Pokemon than in the previous regions that you were in? Because, like, why else bother with buying the expansion pack if there aren't different Pokemon? So, in that sense, it's it makes a little bit more sense. It's just that it's really weird in the situation where it's a very, very fast... A publishment of a Pokemon game, which was something very different than before, which we talked about in the previous Framecast, and then kind of comes back with some of these concerns, where I think the concern with Pokemon is way more on the Pokemon that are coming back, and not that they're adding in new new story modes and new uh, territories towards a game in Expansion Pass, because if it was just that without the Pokemon, I think the fuss would have been way less. However, if you don't mind, I would love to look more into um how and well into DLCs and expansion packs for this year and going into the 2020s because I think that Pokemon is an interesting example um if as I said this topic could have been discussed like five years ago when these DLCs became a new thing on like the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 but the fact that Pokemon is doing it right now means that it's a generally accepted thing that developers do, or not necessarily accepted, but a generally known thing that developers do is that they add in DLC to standard games. Uh, and at the same time, we have seen people try their hand and fail horribly or succeed quite well with um, live service games. However, I'm also seeing more and more disgruntlement with certain well-performing games, including Warframe and Destiny 2, about how they expand and how long they go on. So what does this mean for both the expanding games of live services? Where do these expansions go? Do they go bigger and bigger and bigger? And can they go bigger and bigger and bigger? And these more standard games, can DLC form a middle ground between these two types of games where it enhances the experience of these, these games? Or does it actually detract from these games if you add in more DLC? Um, so I, I've, I've brought up this, this list, um, releases.com, um, and it has like DLCs and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have a great expansive list of DLCs, maybe because people are, well, developers are reducing the number of DLCs. I don't know, but I think that... Part of the issue is that publishers will often turn to developers and say, we need you to build this DLC content in mind, right? We need you to, because they, they want to get the most out of product, mm -hmm. right? The, the best form of marketing for any game is word of mouth, right? If a game good enough, people will talk about it. People will turn to, you know, their friends at school, their colleagues at work, their neighbors, and just simply say, oh my God, have you played so-and-so? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if people like it enough, they'll talk about it. Um, you know, I mean, 
that's what happened in the earlier years of Warframe. But I think that the the concept of DLC has been abused. Right, the whole premise of DLC was supposed to be you bought it now mm -hmm. at the full retail price, and then you got the stuff that was missing from the game later on as you know just free additional content, right? But then publishers saw this as a way of marketing and they thought, well, maybe we can sort of like cheat it, so to speak. I mean, some of the DLC content that really stuck in my head was Batman Arkham City, the second Batman mm -hmm. Arkham game. And you could get levels as uh, to play as Catwoman. It was one level. It was just one. That was it. You know, and it felt like a huge cheat, right? I'm spending this extra 15 quid on a game to, to get this DLC for like, you know, five minutes worth of content. What, what the hell, right? Mm -hmm. And this is often the case with a lot of games, right? Things like microtransactions have really taken this to a new level. And... I think that if a game developer is building a product with DLC in mind, let's look at Warframe, right? Let's say the, the Railjack expansion is a DLC, you know, uh, let's treat this as a hypothetical. I think that depending on how it's done, how it's executed, it has the potential of winning over people or just completely blowing up in people's faces. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm... So, yeah, go on. I think that there are some very big concepts which we're talking about right now which really need to be broken down <laughs> before we continue. Sure. Because... I think you were talking about DLC started out as free additions to the game that were, when you bought the game, you would get some extra little bits that you could download extra, and that was a pretty cool thing. But No, no, that, that, that wasn't the original concept. The original concept was we can't, we as the developer cannot complete the um, production of the game without having an injection of cash. So we are selling the game now early. Okay. So you can uh, give us an injection of cash by buying it, and then later when we finish it, when we finish the extra stuff, you'll be able to download it and finish the game. Okay. Well, in that sense, it started out like that, and then you were saying the other developers called on to that, and it turned into some some practices where you would buy for a full-fledged expansion. It was just five minutes of one single level, and it's like, what did I pay for? And we're seeing these kind of practices with... Uh, microtransactions as well and if we're looking at live service games we can also look at their expansions i think that first of all if we look at the dlc progression or any progression of any sort of system within uh, within games or game development there is always a 
a kind of like swing in finding the right balance or find the right place of this new technology. I think that DLC was a massive impact towards previously having this one thing which no one could change at all to, hey, we can add things on there because now people have hard drives on any console that they play on and we can like, they have an internet connection, we can do this. But what does that mean? Like, what does a DLC mean? I think that that's a really important thing that people before had to figure out. Does it mean that it is something which can later be added to the game, which you just get extra because you already paid for the game? Or is it an extra game? Like, let's say the way that people describe Pokemon now, like it could have been an extra game, but right now it's just like an extra piece towards the game. So you buy it. Uh, or is it like, hey, we can take parts of the game and sell it back to the so sell it back to the buyer and then earn money. It's like it, it also balanced on the question like how should a developer earn money? Should they earn money for, for like the first initial sale? Or should they earn money as they develop on with extra DLCs? So I think that those are some very important things to figure out. But also at the same time when it comes to live services like uh, Warframe and Destiny <laughs> The thing is, is that I feel that we're really into the swing of figuring out what that is. Because on the one hand, we say that it could really enhance games like Pokemon. On the other hand, I think that we've last, over the last two years, really seen developers go overboard with live services and fail really badly for 76 Anthem. And we're still trying to figure out the place of these games and what their expansions mean and how the developer should be paid for expansions as such within these games. And I think that even when we look at games like Warframe, we still don't know. And I don't think Warframe even really knows what what to do with these expansions. So, um, let I me think, go I ahead. think we, we, need, we need to take real examples, right? We, yeah. we can't just... Um, we can't just simply pluck this stuff out of our bum uh, on a hypothetical level. I think we need to look at a practical level where this stuff has been executed. Okay, right? can I? Okay, can I start off with a distinction with an example within it? Yep. I think that some very important distinctions to make before moving forward are uh, games that are a self-contained game, like let's say. Outer Worlds or uh, Persona 4, like sto mostly story-driven games where it's like the game is released as an entire game with a start and a conclusion. Uh -huh. These self-contained games most of the time do not get any DLC or anything else because it wouldn't make sense for the game itself. Uh -huh. Then you have standard games which either evolve over time like Pokemon where otherwise like new it's slightly different iterations would be released over time or that continue to stay relevant over time through online multiplayer i think someone mentioned here red Dead redemption 2 which did not have dlc to which the response was well the online play is also kind of dead because what happens with story games where no dlc gets added it's like i'm done and you put it away you put it on the shelf whereas mm -hmm. a game like like, let's say that would happen to something like Fortnite, which might also be more of a live service, but let's say something like Fortnite of Call of Duty, if they were to halt development and not release new maps, it would suffer the online play. So I think that that is a more of a gray area where we have more expansions. So continuously 
relevant standard games, like kind of online games. And then we have live services, which are games that are released as we start off with a base and the entire idea of this game is that we're continuously building onto this game to grow bigger and bigger and the game is never really finished. So we have these three distinctions. Would you be fine with that? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Okay. So let's see first. I think that the entirely separate games are kind of out of this entire discussion because I don't think that they will be getting DLC or we'll see DLC, DLC being added to them in the future because if they wanted to do that, they, sh they would have done that by now. It's been out for a long time, this opportunity. They won't. I think that what we're seeing now, and I think Fortnite is a perfect example with... <sighs> Where is the border? Where's the line between a live service game and a continuously relevant game like Fortnite is it a live service game well you can't really play the content that's been out for like years ago especially the battle royale mode which I'm talking about right now but it is a game which has been around the entire time and it kind of follows the same core principles I feel that a game like Call of Duty whenever it releases every time is basically the same game but then with different twists which could be compared to Fortnite seasons so I could foresee a game like Call of Duty reasonably be like, instead of releasing full price new games, we could release half price expansions to the base game, which offer different mechanics, different soldiers, different outfits. So I think the distinction here is the difference between what's a franchise mm -hmm. and what is a live service, a game as a service, right? To me... Uh, Fortnite is not a franchise. It is a game as a service because mm -hmm. it is a, you know, a multiplayer environment that is constantly getting expanded upon in terms of the PvP or the PVE. Um, well, I say the PVE, but yeah. But it's, if it's, it's if we if we look at the PvP though, uh, you cannot play the map of season entirely like an entirely different map from the map that is available now. So if they were to do a season that, three, that would be entirely different again. But that is the same with games like World of Warcraft, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot get the same experience of playing... I was about to say vanilla, but you could play WoW Classic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, playing the earlier versions of the game, you can't get the same experience of playing Burning Crusade, the first expansion, now as you could when it first came out because the whole system was different, right? You had different hit mechanics. You had different... Stats. You actually had to level up being able to use your equipment. But in Cataclysm, mm -hmm. they removed that, right? So the game has changed over many years, right? Originally, um, warriors were able to use ranged weapons. They took that away. So things, games as a service, they can evolve. In my eye, mm -hmm. they can evolve to be a completely different beast as they were years ago. Games as a franchise, well, if you pick up Pokemon Red, it's still Pokemon Red to, um, today, right? But Pokemon uh, Sword is a completely different iteration, but it doesn't impact Pokemon Red. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, in, this, in the sense of if I were to pick up Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, 
I could play that as a separate thing right now, and then Modern Warfare 3 is a separate thing, and they're both separate things which I can have in my hands and play differently. I do think, though, that a Pokemon Red is a separate... Is, is the first category. And like I think that that's a really interesting thing with Pokemon, which I'm realizing right now, is that they have never done updates to their thing. So their games, which you bought, were always just the single story-like game. So yeah. I think that that like that should be I think that's a different category uh, but when I when I look at Fortnite especially the PvP mode I'm not talking about the PvE mode sure I feel that when it comes to the build mechanics the fight mechanics everything that that doesn't concern the skins or the map outside of it has largely remained pretty much exactly the same in the same thing as the Call of Duty multiplayer mode has remained the same over its generations. Of course, there's the campaigns there, but like Call of Duty doesn't really care about them. So I think that they are comparable where season one could have been if it wasn't for uh, for the way that it has been published, could have been Fortnite one. And then season two could have been Fortnite two, and it could have been released as a franchise. I agree. No. I I, th I think I think it could have been released as a franchise. I think the the big thing for Fortnite was it was an attempt to get into the free to play um, game as a service genre for Epic Games that um, games like um, oh not not so much Overwatch but League of Legends other esports right mm -hmm. particularly they, they were just dominating the field right heck even team fortress 2 became free to play after like x many years right mm -hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if when overwatch 2 comes out overwatch becomes free to play right mm -hmm. but so th this was a tactic done by um microphone um this was a tactic being done by epic games and i can completely appreciate and understand how they're trying to do this but again you you could um the reason why they do it this way is because it could be more profitable than a single shot a single single uh, one trick pony that's what i mean like just a one release of the, uh, the game because as you too rightly pointed out in our um microtransactions episode i can't remember, i don't know what was it our first second i don't know which episode it was mm -hmm. you pointed out that one person spent how much money on oh, that transformers over, game they spent over two hundred thousand australian dollars on a transformers yeah. mobile game Two hundred thousand. right could you just imagine you get one person to do that for um fortnite mm -hmm. right so if 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 we were to sell, I don't know how much a a, a game in Australia goes for, but um, simple some some quick maths. So two hundred thousand divided um, by sixty then, or something. Yeah, I, I think I think sixty yeah. is a good number. Um, that's three hundred thirty-three. Sorry, three hundred. My God, how can I not? Three thousand three hundred thirty-three people's worth of purchasing mm. in one person stop it, microphone stop it stay so it's an attempt to get more money mm -hmm. it is i feel that 
let me see if I can let me see if I can get my uh, reasoning correct. So you're saying that Fortnite attempted this free to play tactic of continuously having one single service free to play online like some of the games that were previously there uh, to earn more money through micro transactions sort of behavior um, <laughs> uh, instead of doing the franchise approach yes that's that that is personally mm -hmm. what i think i mean there are some games like the fifa games i think it was the fifa games they they have the franchise approach as well as the mi microtransaction approach this is where publishers get super fucking greedy at trying to milk their consumer base dry right? so it's interesting that you bring up fever because one interesting thing about one interesting thing about fever is that the games that come out are 60 dollars at like lounge but a year afterwards are worth nothing because everyone that is interested in them moves on to the next game and the online play just dies I think that yep. Call of Duty, in a sense, is a little bit different because I still find a lot of people around on previous releases. But FIFA and those sports games just literally die off. I think that these would be prime candidates if you were to go for a very smooth user experience to become a Fortnite-inspired uh, live service where it just updates to the next year and updates to the next year because there's very little value in the previous entries. However, I think that when it comes to the microtransactions idea behind Fortnite and not choosing to go franchising because not franchising is beneficial for a for the amount of income one can generate. I think that the way to monetize this approach is one which is very all over, like we're still finding a way around it. And I don't know what the best approach is because um, on the one hand, I would say when it comes to a better user experience, I'm probably also for a better development cycle instead of like having to rebuild a game, the same game pretty much up at launch, uh, like every single year, just continuing to work on the same game and updating it as you go, there are some very serious benefits to games like Call of Duty, Fortnite, no, Call of Duty, FIFA, or Pokemon if they were to take take up that approach. But how do you monetize it then? I think that there are two big issues which come up. It's do you monetize initially for the for the work you have put in and then do you have like an asking price of 60 bucks which so far has not been very successful you could say destiny 2 is one of the successful success stories but they just went free to play so anthem did it and failed horribly fallout 76 did it and failed horribly apparently people do not like to join into a live servers when they're expected to pay up front and as you so say very rightly if it's only provide six hours of content on launch, then what do I pay this for? And if at that point it would be okay, you buy into this title and it will update as it go as it goes along, then you can't really expect people to 
buy your expansion passes if you're telling them to, you pay 60 bucks for an incomplete product, but we're going to update it as we go along. So don't worry, you've already paid for the game. That would make no sense because that's worth way more than 60 bucks. So how do you monetize it then? How do you monetize a live service? Let's say that we like to go towards a live service idea for certain types of games, not all types of games, not story games, but games like Pokemon, but games like FIFA, franchise games, which would probably be aided in a lot of sense in a, in a lot of ways by being live service. How would you do that? And I don't think that microtransactions is entirely the right approach, nor do I think that paying for updates is the entirely right approach because you see a lot of people being turned off by the Destiny approach where you have to pay up like 60 bucks every year to add another expansion to it and everyone in the game moves onto that and you're kind of stuck in, okay, newbie territory. But then again, the fact that Warframe has been able to pull off to a somewhat successful degree that they have solely been able to live off microtransactions doesn't mean that every game does it right and they might get it they might get it wrong sometimes and get away with it but as we've seen with loot boxes it's only a matter of time before they will not get away with it anymore so how would you effectively monetize a live service game with expansions you're breaking up massively. <laughs> pay uh, pay twenty bucks if you wanna if you want Drew to uh, to be uh, un uncorrupted by 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 the internet. No, I do think seriously think that we need an expansion pass on your internet because it's pretty broken. <laughs> you're not even moving. Oh no, <laughs> we still. You've, you've changed frame. Your frame is still the exact same. Hold on. Maybe if I put on my hat, it changed. Oh my god, we lost him. No, no, no. I moved He's back. back. To US East. Am, yeah, I, am I back proper? Yeah, you're back. Good. Okay. I have. I. I. I can only just blame Discord for that, because uh, you know, God knows. God knows what the hell happened. Um. So I'm going to use a hypothetical of Discord, not Discord, Pokemon. Right. Pokemon. I I would make a game as a service version of Pokemon where you you oh god so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question right mm -hmm. should you have to pay for new regions right now when I describe a region I'm not talking about a whole continent like the Kanto region. I'm, let's call it a zone. Let's or a, yeah, a zone. Let's break it down. So the zone would include um, new terrain, right? Mm -hmm. New architecture, whatever. New um, what's it called? Uh, gym? No, new NPCs to battle, mm -hmm. right? And a new gym, mm -hmm. right? It won't necessarily include new Pokemon. But let's just describe it at that for now. Do you think that should be something that a person has to pay for to access? I don't know. What would you like? Would you like it to be free? So, if I think about it, on the one hand, I would say if... I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know where to place into whether I paid for the game initially or not. 
But here, here comes my here, here come my two opposing thoughts. On the one hand, I would say. Yes, you have to pay for it because it is development time that's gone into creating a piece of game which could have been hypothetically sold as a separate game but is now being added towards a game which is like the idea of a live service. So you pay for the development time because how else would they pay for it? On the other hand, if I look at something like a Destiny 2, it feels like you're getting a game because you're you're looking at Destiny 2 as an entire game, but you're not getting access to that game because there are sev several paywalls in the way. And I can, as a more grown-up person, appreciate that there are paywalls for the work that people put in. However, when I just started out with gaming and I had no money to spare, and like I would just literally like wait months until I could buy my next game, I would get into free-to-play games or maybe a game like destiny and i would really appreciate it if i could continue to play the game until where everyone else was because if i could if there was a pay one i couldn't get past it i just ditched the game because it yeah. felt like i had no i wasn't welcome there and yeah, 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 yeah. if you look at successes like fortnite and warframe that is something which has worked for them where everyone can play it but then it realized more microtransactions, and I don't know whether I'm a fan of microtransactions. So I'm really split on this. I really don't okay. know. So this this is like listening to what you've just said. This has helped me. Right. First off, I would make the game free. Right. Okay. Flat out, you do not have to pay for the game. Mm -hmm. I would put hurdles in the way. Right. So for example, if you want to level up your, um, sorry, if there will be a limit on how many Pokemon you can have, right? Mm -hmm. So certainly you can have the six that's on your utility belt, but then maybe you can only have a further... Oh, God, let's say... How many? There, there are hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon. Mm -hmm. So probably say like a further ten, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can buy ten slots for real money equivalent, so you can up it ten each time. Not saying a huge amount, but I can't give you a price. I just don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not good with um, <laughs> how much... To, like, when I discover... Nope, not going to de deviate. Right. I would then put in cosmetics, right? Mm -hmm. So you could dress up your Pikachu to look like a Charmander, right? Not to be an actual Charmander, but to have, like, a Charmander body, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, you could do things like that. You could customize the appearance of your character, much like you can in the other, um, other, the, the freaking hell, come on, brain. Other game. In Sword and Shield, yes. Yeah. Um, I would have it so that maybe there is a loyalty thing, much like the Kubros in Warframe. So you have to keep your uh, Pokemon happy to like you. Maybe that's something that you could just spend real money. I'm talking like super fucking cheap on that level. But, or you could just like play with it like you can in the camps and things, right? So I would have it so that there's stuff you can rush, but new Pokemon, new areas, new gyms, they would all be free. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe legendaries aren't subject to the same rule 
as other Pokemon. So, you know, th they will always have space in your inventory. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Because you can only go get them once. So does that does that make sense? It makes sense to the degree of if you were to make a successful life service approach and if you were to target people that are interested in a life service game, then this would be very reasonable and understandable ta uh, tactics in monetizing your game appropriately where it's not too invading, but you are enticed to pay money and thus support the development of the game. Mm -hmm. The thing which I worry about, and this is like, this is why Pokemon is a, I don't know how good of an example it is because it really, it, it's only recently because of this new DLC entered the territory of potentially like continually relevant games which we don't even know because previously pokemon games where you bought the game and that was the game i have found myself on a severe dislike or yeah dislike of live service games over the past couple of months because as i said when i grew up i didn't have a lot of money and thus a lot of free-to-play games really spoke to me and also mobile games came up around the time they spoke to me. And a lot of these free-to-play games have tactics like this. They're like continuously active. They're, they're kind of games as a service and you can pay up and that's how they make their money. However, a direct result of the idea of a free-to-play live service game is that I found very clearly that their goal is not to entertain you. Their goal is to keep you playing for as long as possible. And mm -hmm. initially that the difference of that uh, rank of uh, objectives might not be noticeable to you. It might not be noticeable to you at all. If you enjoy playing the game, then that's satisfactory. However, I've really started to notice when I was really deep into Warframe, really deep into mobile games, and then I was like, hold on. All these games, what they give me is never a satisfaction. They will always shine at you with colors and like kind of like complete objectives because completing objectives feels good. But the objectives will always keep coming. There is never an end to them. And yeah. that is something which I don't know whether I would like that within a Pokemon game. And I don't know whether I would like that in the majority of games if we're looking towards moving from a franchise towards a, like, turning a franchise into something more of a live service because the added benefits to that. I think that it's also very keen, very important to note that the idea of microtransactions only works if people will continuously be playing it. Because if you only need to craft like 10 things, like you might rush 10 things, but then you will never pay up again. So like the idea is it to incentivize you to continue to require these, well, encounter these obstacles and then be enticed to pay up. And then the goal of the game needs to be shifted towards not enticing you to be continuously and like, like not getting you to and have an enjoyable experience, but to have you play for as long as possible. But can which will most definitely include trying to get you the most enjoyable experience. But as a result, Nightwave in Warframe, the season pass will never end. You will always be able to keep on going because there will always be objective objectives. Because if you don't have objectives, like. Like, you might quit. We can't have you quit. So I think that that is a very interesting point of conflict where there might be a huge problem because I don't think every, most of the players or every player is interested in having that experience in a majority of the games. 
I think the big thing is the distinction of the difference between PvE mm-hmm. and PvP. Because PvP games effectively they 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 pay for themselves. You know, you you put um because every PvP experience is ever so slightly different and it's enough to keep the player base going. You just gotta you know, oh I'll just throw in another character. Oh yeah, there's another character. Oh it's so cool. Right. But I totally get where you're coming from, right? Like, I would detest if Nier Automata was a game as a service because I loved the plot. I loved the thing that they focused on the most, which was the plot, right? Mm -hmm. And I completely appreciate it. Like, if you don't want to play a game because you you don't feel like you're progressing anywhere, right? Then why would you... Why would you never ride downhill? Why would you always push uphill to get no sense of satisfaction of going downhill again? Mm-hmm. So maybe Pokemon should never be a game as a service. Maybe even Pokemon should never have DLC stuff. Maybe it should just be uh, a blank slate each time, each new generation, each new iteration of the franchise. But, go on. I think, I'm, I'm trying to think, I think it's a failure proposition. Because, I don't know, do you feel, have you bought any Destiny 2 expansions? Yes. Did you feel you got your money's worth, or were you satisfied <laughs> no. with these expansions? <laughs> no. no, not in the slightest. Alright, well at least there is a large amount of people that is satisfied with the failure that they get out of it because every time they continue yeah. to buy them so it's somewhat successful but we both objective i haven't i've never bought one and i i have some objections to buying them i haven't like the threshold is still too high for me i th- so I, I i to jump in here there are instances where expansions or dlcs are done right mm-hmm. right personally i think world of warcraft its expansions slash dlcs is downloadable content are done right because you are paying um a what's called oh no i can't i can't use that i was going to use that example i can't because it's got a subscription behind it i apologize everyone (laughs) can't use that example um what other games have i bought where the dlc was worth it that's a really good question i am struggling to think of any (laughs) um i think that when it comes to the DLC market, especially okay, so like what rubs me, what rubbed me the wrong way with Destiny Two, is that you originally had the sixty dollar entry price, and then you had to have continuous, pretty decent like game prices for DLCs that were added on or expansions that were added on, in addition to that, it has microtransactions within the game, so it has both the entry price and the expansion price, and also the microtransactions. And if you contrast that to the game, which I was by, by, by the time playing, which was Warframe, which was completely free and everything was accessible uh, throughout playing it without spending a dime, it was a fair bit contrast, and I were, wasn't so sure whether the value I would get out of spending that money would be worth my dime. However, I think that it is the... 
a pr- like like I think that the the value proposition is really important in this thing, and I think that there is hardly any any game that has found it yet, and I don't think Warframe has found it either because Warframe is a really interesting story right now to see how that will develop. But first, where would that value be found? I think that games like uh like oh well franchise games which we were talking about like Pokemon like Call of Duty like FIFA could very well do with a live service approach because their games over time are very, very similar and could work in a continual lineage where things would be added on. But where would this expansion and how would that be paid for? I think that if we were to have a Pokemon live service, the way that we envision it being this large world, it would just be one world where like you'd have all the Pokemon worlds from before kind of like together and you could move to the different regions because it's on one giant world. You could move to the different regions and play the story there. You could start off by buying in into like the first into like whatever region you'd want to and then you could go on to other ones. I think that if every region was locked behind $60 or 50 because it's on the same engine this time. It's on an entire new thing. You don't have to buy the disc anymore. I think that that would be a satisfying price for me to buy the expansion for because it's basically a different, like, I just, it's basically, I would buy that as a separate game, but right now it's just that, that exact game. But then on this live servers, I would buy that for 50 bucks. I think that, that I would have no problem with that. I think that as long as the value behind it if you're selling something for a full retail price, the value behind it should be a full retail game, in my opinion. So I think that that could work, but there have been very few examples that have been that have worked well that way. Yeah. So one example that was given in chat from Sentient um, F for me uh, was Warcraft Three. So um, Warcraft Three had an expansion uh, which was the Frozen Throne. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know that that was a huge deal. That was like basically uh, a game in and of itself added on top. Blizzard used to be like really good when it came to DLC content with StarCraft, with Warcraft Three, so on and so forth. Then came the Mud Rubbers, and it became a lot more more about the money than it did anything else. A la, um perhaps the starcraft 2 being episodic so you didn't mm-hmm. need to buy any of the previous expansions in order to play it right mm-hmm. um which is it, it just detracted from it right so each ex- the the narrative was only about one faction which sucked right um then there's you know destiny 2 like oh cool i've just spent i don't know how much money on uh crap Forsaken and I completed it in an after. Mm-hmm. So what 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 is this even? And again, likewise, your complaint about how free games as a service are um, the 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 amount of time you sink into those games are absolutely like okay. I don't have that much of an issue with Warframe, but I did have a huge issue with Heroes of the Storm. They wanted you to play every bloody day, right? Mm-hmm. They would continuously run time-limited events that if you weren't constantly running, then you just massively uh, lose out. And in the end, like people just like, 
no, I can't, I can't be fucked to deal with this. Like, I'd rather, you know, not have to fight an uphill battle, right? So maybe, maybe this is the wrong choice for um, Game Freak to do with Pokemon, but it comes from the quality of the work that they produce. I think that there is a couple of things when you're talking about the episodic nature of StarCraft and the... Uh, the more focused on money taking uh, practices that came later on. Uh, there are some intricacies there, like franchises that span a really long time are great for, pe for people that grew up with it, but form a huge barrier of entry for people that are trying to get into it. And as such, it is very refreshing for them if they can just join in and they don't have to go back to things because this is just a separate installment. It has something in common with these other games which you can try or these other things which you can try. But you can just jump in. And you don't have to do everything. But you, you can just do this thing now. I think that there is a there is a very important element in that as well. And when it comes to the money hungriness of developers and the the not so creative ways later on uh, i think we've touched on that a couple of framecasts ago as well that coming up with a really good creative idea is really tough to do let alone several times in a row so something which has been really creative and successful has no guarantee of being as creative and as successful with further installments or further additions towards it while at the same time it does have a a fan base and a repertoire on which it can uh, make money and then at that time like the availability of making more money might be uh, might be more enticing or it might be that you're still buying the same thing except this time it hasn't been as original or as successful because well it's not going to be as easy to be that way. So you perceive the value of what you got as way less because it wasn't as good, but it's basically what it would have done back then. But then it was just not as good. So I think that there are some intricacies there, but I think it's a really important thing, especially with the idea of like this Pokemon live service game uh, or franchise live service games like the idea is magical of having like this one giant Pokemon world where you can switch between the regions but on the other hand, if I were to join in with Sword and Shield and I would see this entire world locked up, like from going back to Pokemon Red and stuff, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I would feel about that. So I think that, that that's definitely an interesting point. Um, is it worth it? Then again, yeah. at the same time, is it uh, how like is it not about the way it's portrayed? In the sense of if I join, if I buy into Pokemon Sword and Shield now, the only reason that I'm not like, oh my god, I haven't played po up all all the way back to Pokemon Red is because there is no mention of those games within that game. And if I were to have this live service and there would be an entire area like grayed out, then that would be like that would feel bad. But what if there mm. would be no mention of it unless like you buy an expansion and boom, all of a sudden you can only see two regions. Then would it not like mediate the suffering? Suffering is a bad word, but the only word I can come up with. <laughs> yeah, I I know what you mean. Like I I don't. I mean, part of the problem from my perspective is that you know I've started with this stuff, mm -hmm. right? I I haven't picked up anything part way through, 
maybe Final Fantasy fourteen, but even then I picked it up before the first expansion. And but like part of the issue here is that you know, I, I played Pokemon from the first iteration. I played mm -hmm. it with uh, Pokemon Red. It was the first ever Pokemon game I ever played, and I thought it was bloody brilliant. But likewise, World of Warcraft is a case. You know that that is fifteen years old, and you know I think people can still as readily pick it up today, not have to worry about any of the mm -hmm. expansion stuff, any of the the lore elements or raid gear or any of that stuff haven't already got because one of the nice things about world of warcraft is with its expansions when you pick it up mm -hmm. you can get a level boost to jump a, a brand new character or any character to um the the beginning of the expansion right mm -hmm. you can even buy those from blizzard um but that that's by the by I think that games of a service aren't necessarily something to be concerned about in terms of picking it up partway through the lifespan rather than at the beginning of the lifespan. I think, if anything, it's about how the content is tailored to such a broad audience because, you know, game, games like... Um, again, Warframe, they are built to specification dictated by the user base, right? The only reason why we have Parkour 2.0 is because there were quite a number of people copped, uh, Zoran coptering, right? Mm -hmm. Could you just envision that for Pokemon? Pokemon has always been this, you know, we have the idea on our heads. We have the model of what the player will do. We have the user journey all mapped out, right? But then what happens when it would, in theory, become a game as a service and then people can go, oh no, I think Charmander should be stronger than Squirtle, you know, because people like Charmander over Squirtle. Yeah? So I think there is it's a double-edged sword when it comes to games as a service that maybe DLC content does not have. In the sense of because a game is a, like Pokemon Sword and Shield, is a self-contained unit, given that an addition will not be subject to years long of user-generated feedback and tweaks and all the long-dreaded, problems that live services might have because it's just an expansion to one game and it will it's just basically developer this is what it is and now we'll move on it has more solidity to it because it's just the vision of the developer yeah so the, yeah exactly so if the vision so the big thing is like when you are trying to develop something you you spend ages trying to work it out and we can see things like fortnite is another good example fortnite was originally based on the, the pvp premise that you would be one of four players that is building a fortress to to survive a zombie horde right 
But then some bright spark at Gearbox decided, hey, let's just shove in Battle Royale. And bam, the Battle Royale exploded. Mm -hmm. Right? And then they just neglected the PvP side of it entirely. Games as a service, they have the spaghetti of ideas. They throw it at the wall. And whatever sticks, they develop. Yeah. Right? I think that one of the things that you mentioned about the beauty of live services is that like the users can like feedback in and, and only if it's done well like with warframe this can produce great results but if it's done poorly or it makes no sense then like yeah it will fail i think that one of the things which should be heavily considered is our personal experience with warframe and our mm -hmm. personal growth with it because I think that I personally think that Warframe is in a really interesting spot right now because I'm I'm gonna call it out. It's not in an interesting spot. It's in a very difficult spot. It's no, in it's a very. It, it's it's in an interesting spot because we might see whether this one pillar or one of the few pillars of life surface, which people have always pointed to, of how well it's doing might actually be showing symptoms of becoming too large for its base in a yeah. sense so what i mean with that is uh it's not me saying warframe is dead it's just saying it's really interesting to see what's going to happen because what you're saying about the beauty of uh, warframe about parkour that we grew up with that it's awesome if you started that with warframe and you grew up and they changed it based on feedback which people commonly shared or made sense that people had even if you disagreed it made sense that people had that opinion however if you were to join the game right now it would make no sense for you that there's something like frame fighter it would make no sense for you that there's something like clem it it doesn't have the same relative ideas behind it because you didn't grow up with it you take it as the game as it is and it's one giant mess but that's pretty much a side point to all of this because the idea of games as a service is that they continue the add-on and the expansions attract new players and like it makes the game bigger and it makes the game better however what is really interesting with Warframe right now, especially with the introduction of Railjack, is that what they've thrived on is initially with small, continue, small repeating updates, which eventually grew bigger and bigger and bigger, with larger time spans in between. Because they grew bigger, they attracted more people each and every time. I think that this peaked with... Uh, well, we saw the big spark, initial spark with um, the second dream, but this peaked with Planes of Eidolon and then Fortuna. And why did it peak with that? Was because Planes of Eidolon brought the idea of open world to people. And it didn't necessarily mean, like, it not necessarily focused on what the expansion was. It was just that people saw this game what it was for the entire time. And then a concept was brought to mind, which no one has ever thought of. And then I was like, can you imagine? And then they did it, and it was an entirely new thing, and people liked it or hated it, but it brought a lot of attention to them, and the player base grew. And then they did it again with Fortuna. I think the spike was a little bit less, but at the same time, it still broke records because it was, again, like, what would an open world do to a game like this? And it, it's bigger and better than the previous one, so it drew a lot of attention. However, what we're seeing right now is that what can be developed within a year or within a reasonable spent amount of time, is I think that there is a peak which has been reached. And at the same time, 
um, what kind of concept can can be as game breaking as there is lore or there is an open world and Railjack might have been a potential answer to that has it not been that it has not reached that same peak and as such Railjack might have been another additional example which points out that games as a service that are searching out for what will be the next big expansion might have this amazing trajectory of the story gets added on or it might run the risk of we're having something here something there something here something there something here something there it ends, ends up being a giant mess where the next thing will never be able to be bigger than the previous thing because the previous thing was already so big as a result like we haven't had the spike at all and the steam charts are kind of going down which I'm interested to see what their next move is, but I think that Warframe has is in a really interesting position because we have never seen live services go this long. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I spoke a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Like to be honest, the when Destiny Two hit the Steam charts, mm -hmm. um, running the first of October, it it blew up massively. But since then, since mid-October, it's been kind of on a downward trend, mm -hmm. right? And I would kind of expect that. Again, with Warframe as well, the these games, they suffer like um, ups and downs nearly constantly. And I think that one of the important things for us as gamers is to be able to take the opportunity to go play something else. Like I've said with Heroes of the Storm, having to play it 24-7 is killer, right? Well, mm -hmm. I, no, it's not 24-7, but you had to play it every day, right? You had to play it every day for a few hours, which was killer, mm -hmm. right? At least with Pokemon, I can put it down before I pick it up again, right? At least with... Um, Oh, God, trying to think of another game. Um, oh, uh, so I've recently been playing Children of... Um, no, no, is it Children of Mana? Shit, what's it called? Children Children of Mortar, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a game I totally recommend for everyone. It's currently on Steam. It is a amount of money. It's, um, it's, it's less than £20. It is a really good game. They do actually have a development roadmap for the future. You know, it's fun. But the big thing is that I can put pick it up and put it down when I want, right? But games like Warframe, there are so many people that feel that they have to keep playing it nearly constantly. And I get that. Games like Overwatch, games like League of Legends, games... You know, there are all these games out there, games as a service, that I feel exploit their audience far too much and force them to do stuff that, you know, as you have put it, like, you know, a never-ending string of goals that, mm -hmm. or hurdles that just, like, you know, where the fuck is the end? Because, because that's their primary stop. goal. It's yeah, like like that is that they need to keep their audience playing because if they don't, people won't spend money for microtransactions. And where does the development where is the development being paid for at that point? However, I think what we're seeing with games like Destiny and games like Warframe, life life service games, the idea behind the franchise, I think that's the franchise games suffered the same fate uh, 
years ago. And I think that we might be seeing a very interesting development in the couple in the next few years, especially indicated by my tracking of like what has the Railjack launch meant for Warframe. Is that, um, and yeah, we're talking about Warframe now. Wow. Wow. Uh, anyway, um, what does the Railjack launch mean for Warframe? It's as you point out, people force themselves to play a game. Why? Because that's the objective of the game to keep you playing for as long as possible. Now, if you start out right at the start when the live service starts, or one or two years later, mostly the the games have been very unexplored by that point. You still have very much linear based content because within the first two years, you're not going all too wild as a developer. You still have your vision of what you want for it. And the game is just adding on and adding on. It's like a game you can step in and things are being added on. However, I think that some of the high points where Warframe peaked, where Warframe, where people said like, wow, awesome, was with... Arcwing's introduction initially, the reaction afterwards was not great, which added to this this fighter game on the ground with four people in missions, added the layer of flying through space. Then the next pick was the second dream, a cinematic quest, which added to this kind of generic game with some interesting elements, but not a lot of lore. All of a sudden, a cinematic lore entry, which then had a massive success, which then also had a success with the war within the follow up quest. And then their big peaks came with the open worlds, which put you from hallways to open worlds. And the follow-up open world was also pretty good, real well received. Now it's ships in space, but as you as you can tell, it's becoming harder to find what is the next big thing and how big can the next big thing be given what we're seeing right now also with increased development times and larger update sizes it's like what like how big is too big and is railjack big enough i i i think it was released very early but it had been in development for a very long time so it kind of had to be released um but the interesting thing oh, i i i disagree with that mentality it'd been in development for a very long time thus it had to be released that's the mentality that led to anthem's floppage you know. But do you, do you not think that that is what could have potentially been one of the reasons why it came out at the time that it did? I think the big thing was that they wanted to release something that maybe their investors wanted to release something that was the update for Christmas, mm -hmm. right? Railjack wasn't really finished, which mm -hmm. is understandable. You know, I think I think no one here denies the fact that Railjack is a bare bones system, right? To me, it's not an MVP system because I have felt I have felt more enjoyment playing the Kuva liches than I have Railjack, right? Absolutely, I agree. Um, I, I I just feel that the, the Railjack system it's it's too sparse, right? Engineer. Not going into this conversation, we're sticking with but, so, DLCs so, and stuff like so, 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 like, this is what I think with the problem with live services, is that creatively, I think that if you look at the idea of Arcwing and cinematic quests and then open worlds, they were far more brand new things like, you can go into space, oh, there's lore, oh, there's an open world towards, oh, there's now ships in space, which is still a cool idea, but like, again, kind of similar to, you can go into space. So, it's not a big ass seller but at the same time what we're seeing is that 
what sold the planes was that it's a brand new big expansion. And then Fortuna was even bigger than Planes of Eidolon. And it had to be. Like, because, like, it's not a great sell if you say, it's one and a half, it's only half the size but it's still fun it's like it's it, it's a tougher sell so they wanted like the idea is like it goes bigger and you've seen that with warframe you have very small updates over a very short time span and they became bigger and they the wait took longer however there is a point in which the wait to content ratio becomes too long and i think that we've had with that the point had been hit with railjack where the way to a big content release had been expired to a point where either developers most likely not, or the community, or investors, or someone felt that it was required, there needed to be an update around Christmas time, still in 2019, which was a big sizable update for Warframe, and that became Railjack. However, the size of Railjack turned into it being not a completely finished product. And I think that at that, at that point, it's like, was the update too big at that point? Was, like, there are, it's an interesting point, because it's not, like, Fortuna was to PoE, or PoE was, or like the War Within was to um, Second Dream. So I think that it does have to do with it needed to come out because the wait was too long and the update was too big to come out at that point in time. And then it's like, well, I think also like one of the things which just baffles me uh, to no end is that like people stick around for seven years to this game, like we did. A lot of people here have been have been sticking around for a long time. And it's like, yeah, you can play something else. But the thing that people did is a really long time. It's insane. At the same time, the fact that there's so much content to keep people entertained for such a long time means that there's a lot of stuff out there which hasn't, because the way that Warframe has been developed, has been all over the place. Which means that it's a really tough game, most likely, I can imagine, for new players to get into. And... Like, the relevancy of a game is also something which needs to be kept in mind in the sense of when Fortnite just came out, it's like the Battle Royale thing. It's shut up and it's been declining. I think that Season 2 gave it a peak again and it's been declining because everything declines. As long, like, if Pokemon Sword and Shield were endlessly adding on DLC, like, it would still be on the declining rate. That's why they released yeah, new at, games. At some point in time, like, you know, they're, they're, I, I wouldn't be surprised if... It... <laughs> Okay, so one comment. Yes, I agree with everything you have said about Warframe. I think that Railjack could have done with another three to six months in the oven before mm -hmm. it came out. And I think that the game is no better off, no worse off, for releasing Railjack at Christmas. Right? I, th I think, given the Steam well, numbers, I think it's well, a little too well, well, like, okay, so, funny you mentioned the Steam I numbers. I, I just... I don't... I don't well, I don't want to linger on that. I want to. Well, I want to move on to other points okay. about the DLC stuff. Sorry, I, like I'm, I'm aware of the time and things. I want to see if anyone has questions and stuff. Mm -hmm. Apologize. Right. The other point I want to make, which is more important, is your point of DLC stuff. I am super surprised that Destiny, when it came out on Steam, Forsaken, not Forsaken, yes, Forsaken, was not free with the base game right the base game became free a year after um the game came out when forsaken came out shortly afterwards right but um when it hit steam 
base game was free, but Forsaken wasn't. So my thought is, what happens in a year, in eight months, nine months' time, when another expansion, another DLC to um, Destiny hits? Do you still have to buy Forsaken? Right? I, I don't know. I think that it. That will be an interesting thing to see. I would expect that it would be free at that point because it had a two-year life cycle. However, like, again, this is... If you look at it from, like, you started out with Destiny, it's, and, like, the story of Destiny, and it, it's being added on, it's amazing for you to experience. Just like mm -hmm. Mass Effect 2 and 3 were amazing to people to start out with Mass Effect 1. But I never played the original Mass Effect trilogy. I played Andromeda because I wanted to play now... And I wanted to play something which came out which was relevant, but I wanted to be... I didn't want to lack behind. So, like, if Destiny comes out with a new DLC, will people still be interested in in these stories? One thing which is really interesting with Destiny is now if you play for free, you start out on Steam or anywhere, you're being thrown to the hub, and you can choose to do the initial free stories, but you don't have to do the first, second, and third in order anymore. Hmm. And you're being like thrown in at power level 750, which is really interesting. It's like. Just to add, that was super confusing, but keep going. So basically, the idea was if you if you started off two years ago, or one year ago of Destiny, when it just became free, um, you had to you started off with level zero, power level zero, and you had to play for the initial story, the very first gameplay quest of Destiny. And then you could buy into the second one, third one, and then Forsaken. You had to kind of play in order and get your power level up. Now, if you start out as a brand new account, don't quote me 100% on that because I'm 99% sure that is this case, but maybe Destiny 2 aficionados can be like, aha, you're wrong. If so, please tell me. But if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you start out right now in a hub, like a central mm -hmm. place, at power level 750, which is kind of like the baseline where everyone is on, and then like you move on beyond that. And then mm -hmm. you can choose to go to characters that will give you the initial starter quest and then you can choose to do that campaign it's no longer that you start out and then do that campaign and do that campaign and do that campaign you can also just start out and start doing forsaken or start doing the new expansion and that will be the start of the game for you which is interesting that is correct um i don't know about shadow keep right mm -hmm. uh I, I i believe that you can do that the difficulty that i find and it's something similar that Warframe suffers, that as soon as you log into the game of Destiny, you're like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm confused. And you have to find a character on the exact opposite side of the uh, the hub mm -hmm. to in order to pick up the the quests, right? Mm -hmm. the, the campaigns, the first three. So that's the, the vanilla campaign... Warmind and Tomb of Osiris. Tomb, Tomb of Osiris. I think it's Tomb yeah, of Osiris. Right, down. right. But the um, sorry, just just to highlight something that Aturia is saying, um, Shadow Keep did not require Forsaken up. That is completely and utterly not true, because people couldn't buy Forsaken for a while, and yeah, blah 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 blah. That's that's I'm sorry, mm -hmm. that's not true. Um, fridge. What was I saying? You were talking about how you ah. had to go to the other side of the map to buy the, to, to get the 
quest. But the biggest the biggest point that I want to make, which I think would seriously impact um, Pokemon, right? Pokemon Sword and Shield in terms of these expansions, is what happens when they do another expansion, right? Will the first two islands in the first expansion pass? So will the first expansion pass worth of content become free to play? Will they always expect you to buy the extra DLC content? Will the game's baseline of 50 quid suddenly become 100 quid in order to play the whole game? Right? Do you see what I'm saying? I think that if... I think okay. This is I think that this is the big doubt which is in everyone's minds when it comes to Pokemon because they haven't done this before. If they were to do a second DLC, what does it mean? Because then we don't know what it means because it's an entirely new territory. But if they were to just do this one DLC instead of like the third game which they've always done, mm. then I think that nothing necessarily changes. It's just that they don't do the third game. But it's like. If they do a second, then then like if they do a second DLC, then it's like, are they trying to do live service? Are they trying to like like we don't know what that means at that point. At that point, I don't know whether the game will decrease in value the base game or like I don't know. It depends on what happens at that point. I think that uh, Pokemon is also a really interesting example for the idea of live services. We've offered in this episode a lot of. Uh, support for franchises like Pokemon, like Call of Duty, like FIFA to see if the live service model would fit them and we thought that there would be many benefits to it however as i'm just realizing with talking through warframe and destiny 2 as amazing as it is to uh, continuously play for the game because it makes no sense that you have to buy a separate game to continue on in the next installment when you can also just update it like how crazy is it that you have to buy the same thing over and like buy over and over again we can just add on to the same thing it makes no sense but at the same time if i buy pokemon sword and shield right now but it would have been a live service game if i buy into pokemon sword and shield right now but in order to to actually play it i would have to start off with pokemon red or the very first pokemon and then play my way all the way up to like pokemon sword and shield to actually then play pokemon sword and shield that would make no sense either that would be crazy yeah. and i think that that is what we're starting to see with games like warframe and destiny 2 like live service games that have been running for a while which they really have to find a way to overcome is that this timeline which initially supported them very much that oh my god this just adds on and adds on is starting to become a bit of a problem because it's kind of like if you want to play the new thing that's out you have to start off at the game boy era it makes no sense yeah. it is crazy i i i think that we're gonna start seeing that um be an impact on warframe really soon because, like, the game doesn't really kick off its narrative until you are doing the second dream, mm -hmm. right? That's typically around the 30 to 50 hour mark, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way to get that any shorter. And, you know, so the, the, the plot doesn't really... You, you don't feel any substance until that late in the game. And I know plenty of people that have picked up Warframe and go... Okay, that's cool, but there's way too much for me to do. I'd rather not spend that much time on it. So I completely get it. Right? The um so but one thing that's really interesting 
is how Blizzard have done the World of Warcraft expansions, mm -hmm. right? I don't know exactly when they started this. I think it may have been Cataclysm. I know certainly by Mr. Pandaria. So let, let me give you numbers. <laughs> so there was Vanilla. The first mm -hmm. expansion was the Burning Crusade. The second expansion was Wrath of the Lich King. The third expansion was Cataclysm. And the fourth expansion was Mr. Pandaria. So by the third expansion, or the definitely the fourth one, they started including the older expansions in the game. In the, So when you bought World of Warcraft for £10, mm -hmm. you got all the expansions bar the current one. Right? So that way, you're not spending... Um, oh, God, let, let, me, let me just quickly... Do you're, some quick math. Well, you're, you're, not you're, you're not spending the base game plus all the expansions that come afterwards. Yes. But, so say, but say... My question is not just the concern... Well, my question now is, like, it's not just the concern of monetary investment. It's also the concern of relevancy and uh, mind investments. Like, how long does something in a game need to be relevant? Or can it be relevant? Because um, I don't know how World of Warcraft has done this, but... If you release something like an expansion in like 2013 and like Warframe, like I'm really beginning to appreciate the way that Warframe like side develops, even though it's becoming a blittering mess. But let's imagine that there is a piece of content which is introduced in 2014 as an expansion, which is like a high point of an expansion because it's a big thing. Um, and then 10 years later in 2023, you get another expansion, but that's based off the storyline from like that expansion even if that expansion is free like you're still gonna have to play for it and you're still gonna have to keep it in mind like that's a massive task i don't care if I, it's free or not but like i don't think i, I can commit I, I disagree i don't think you have to play it at all because well that I depends think... because no, so, so this this does this is actually relevant right now mm -hmm. so uh the second expansion wrath of the lich came, right mm -hmm. came out in 2008 I mm -hmm. think it so I'm trying to get my mic to stop moving up and it's just like not <laughs> wanting to play ball Mike stop there we go so um Wrath of the Lich King uh was the second expansion and when it came out mm -hmm. um it was the highlight of the it was the highest peak of the game mm -hmm. at the end of the expansion mm -hmm. you as a champion, along with um, 19 other champions, I think it was like, no, 10 or 25. So you and nine other champions and uh, a named character called Tyrion Fordring end up killing Arthas Menethil, right? Mm -hmm. He was the Lich King, mm -hmm. right? But the Scourge always had to have a Lich King. Who uh, and then another character by the name of Bolvar Fordragon ended up um, putting the ice crown on his head so he could maintain control over the skirt. Bring it to in a few months' time, and I think it's mm -hmm. coming out apparently in April or um, oh, actually no, I think it's like late this year or something like that. We have World of Warcraft Shadowlands. Mm -hmm. And the plot is Sylvanas Windrunner takes the crown from uh, Bulvar's head, mm -hmm. which happened, you know, 10 years ago, and she breaks it in half. 
So anyone that's played Warcraft 3 would turn around and go like, who the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Right? Anyone that plays the Warcraft 3 remake, which again is coming out, I think it's later this month, you know, they all play uh, Warcraft 3 and the Frozen Throne, which is an expansion that comes with it. They come to fighting. They go, oh, I'm getting into this. Oh, I really like this. I'm going to play some World of Warcraft. Oh, I don't care that it looks stupid. Oh, I'm going to play it. Who the fuck is that? You know, it's it's going to confuse the shit out of them. because. Mm. But I think the only real solution is to find out from things like wikis, right? There is so much lore behind Warcraft. It is insane, mm-hmm. right? There are... God, probably about two dozen books, right? Stuff that has relevancy to the game, right? But none of the plot is put in the actual game itself. So the only way to find out is to read the book. Mm -hmm. So I think the only way to actually keep up with this stuff is not to play the game from scratch. Hell, you can't even do vanilla anymore because they retconned it with... um, not retconned it, but they overwrote it with Cataclysm. So the events of Cataclysm is the first starting point, right? So, yeah, it's... it's All over the fucking place, man. Well, it's like the lore discussion is an entirely separate thing where I think we, we've talked about a little bit in pre- previous raincasts about like how lore could be integrated, what counts as canon within the game and all that stuff, but... I think that one of the criticisms where we talked about in the previous 10 o'clock, which is not this Roomcast, but 10 o'clock, check out 10 o'clock as well, uh, was I was talking with Lars about this, that um, one, of the feel, one of the shortcomings of Warframe, which makes it feel like all over the place and all islandly like is that systems that are being introduced do not... M- acquired to something further down the line so yeah an open world that's introduced has no relevancy later on in the game it's just it's there you do everything in this open world and then you leave it alone and uh, a real jack thing well maybe that might bring a change but so far arcwing or any other systems that have been introduced have never been relevant in like the story progression it's always been like you play this and then you go back to the story. You play this, you go back to the story. You don't need any of it. And because of it, uh, one of the things that uh, like end game players, between quotation marks, are running up against is that there's not a lot of depth to things because like everything is just a bit sideways and you don't need it for something. However, let's imagine that you have this game where these errors would be fixed where you would go for you start off let's say as a warframe as like one warframe one fighting character and then you play for a quest and then you find out about your true nature and then you learn to deal with that nature you gain new talent tree systems and then you uh, find out about new places and the things you get from these places are really important to go to the next place and then to the next place and then you get new things and you can go into space and in this space and you acquire new abilities and new things which you need for the next mission and the next mission. If that's the way that the game is being developed, which a lot of people would like for Warframe, then if that goes on 10 years down the line, then for the next Warframe expansion, you would need to have the focus system, you would need to have Railjack, you would need to have Arcwing, you would need to have... Yeah. Uh, and, and like such a long list that you would require to start all the way at the start in order to catch up. Now, you could say that, well, you 
word before you do this you get a care package where everything all, all of that is in it because that's what you start off with and like that's been all the way in the past but doesn't that at that point and override the past and doesn't that like make a big like sort of surface a big problem is like either something is relevant or at that point it's like oh you get a care package so all the people that played all these expansions and stuff well screw you you could have all just gotten this as a package so it's like it's such a weird thing so, which so oh, i yeah. i would i would modify warframe in a couple of different ways mm -hmm. um first off um it has to be both of these things it can't just be one of them. one a care package that allows you to skip from after vor's prize to right at the foot of the natar quest right um that that is one thing so you go from Earth, and all of a sudden you've unlocked everything up mm -hmm. to Uranus, right? Then um, I would also modify the nodes, right? I would reduce the number of nodes that take you from Earth to Venus, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you'll finish off Vor's Prize, you get to Venus, and then you have to get to um, Mercury. I would change it so that maybe there's only two nodes that are between you and the junction of um, Mercury, right? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. There's only two nodes between... I think there's actually only one node um, between you, so Earth and Mars. Two nodes between Mars and Ceres. The reason for this is so that, yeah, okay, I get the point of how to play Warframe. I don't need to do this grind before I can get to the fun stuff. And I would dramatically lower the requirements of the junctions. Yeah? But so that's, instead of... That kind of plays into the problem of relevancy because, uh, like, what you're describing is reducing the amount of lead-up time towards certain important things, including the second dream. I 100% yeah. appreciate that because, like, the second dream is really important for people to, like, have emotional attachments to things. However... Yeah. Um, the idea of the life surface game, as far as we have appreciated Warframe as such, is that it adds on to the game which we appreciated. So we started off with Warframe, and then the second dream was added onto that. But Warframe was already relevant to us, and then there was the second dream being added to it. Now, though, uh, because like we're so far, so further ahead, we declare that this part of the game is no longer relevant. Or like has decreased relevancy, so we can smallen the grind. And it's like, at what point can you say that? And at what point does it mean that? Well, uh, uh, I mean, at this point, we're so far ahead that in the story that like pff, we already f lo know long ahead that we're this thing, and like this entire thing with our uh, mother person is no longer relevant in the story at all because we're all the way into the other side of space because we're 10 years ahead into the future and we're talking about way different things. We're just going to condense the entire Nata thing to uh, let's just do one quest where you're like, oh, I'm this. Oh, you seem not very nice. You're going to betray me. Bye. Because right now that's no longer relevant. Otherwise, you're going to have to play for 10 years of content. It's like at that point, doesn't don't we lose the inherent value of the game which was created back in the day to in in service of keeping the new thing relevant to people that want to enter in and at, at that point could you not rather say this life service thing has run its course let's preserve it as it is 
and let's make another entry point where we're starting anew again. And if you want to have a little bit more in-depth, you can go back because it's kind of base of what we did, but you don't need to know because it's a brand new thing. You can start out again. I, I, don't, think, I don't think you can say, let's start anew. If you were to turn to me and say, oh yeah, we're going to start your Warframe account fresh on Warframe 2, I'll be like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, but, nope. but but imagine that you, that it's not you because you, like we have this entire history with seven years of this game but let's say that I like I am not I have never gotten into World of Warcraft and I think there's a big barrier of entry for me in World of Warcraft because there's so much that I have missed out on I think that with Warframe it's it's, it's also very essential for people that like that are brand new to this they're like this game's been running for seven years oh my god and it's yeah, like so, the, the, the solution, that's, that's... They, they've tried the solution of putting the, this at the start, the new content at the start for new players, but that's never satisfied the end game players. If they put it at the end all the time, which makes more sense for the people that have been around, then it becomes a far more, it's the same problem that, that like all these franchise games, like why there's only three Mass Effects, because if they made 20 of them, people wouldn't pay to lay 20 because only a small number stick around until the end of 20. And I'm not, I'm never going to pick up a game that says Mass Effect 20. And I think that, we're running into the same thing with live services as well. I agree. I agree entirely. However, your so say we got a new player, mm -hmm. right? Their experience of Warframe does not detract from my experience of Warframe. If they can get to the second dream within eight hours, right? That does not belittle the fact that I'm still MR27. But 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 it, it's it's not about your experience. It's about um let's say what made poke what makes pokemon great is that you can go into the wild woods and then catch your pokemon and then train them up a little bit and then like go to the first gym and then go to the next gym like that's the magic of pokemon like you grow up a little bit yeah but now imagine that it's like oh yeah uh so you just wake up and you get all your badges straight away because uh yeah if you're gonna have to go for that that makes that, that would take too much time so you're just gonna get all your badges and then you're gonna get told this little thing and then you're just gonna get all these pokes skip on the head to this point in time because otherwise this would take you way too much time it's like it's not for the experience of you it's for the experience of the new player like we're telling them to skip all this grind and play in warframe up to the second dream because in the grand picture right now that's no longer relevant whereas when we started out, that thing was the charm of Warframe. And I feel that if you take this approach and you apply it to a longer scale, then how much are you going to be sacrificing or how big is the thing that you're going to be like cutting short and sacrificing to serve to make this thing, this new thing more accessible? And then how long is something relevant for until it's prone to just be cut down and then served away and then if we're going to be cutting up many different parts of the game into very like slimmed down parts so people can speed through to get to the point where the game is currently, then isn't it like a loss of the original quality? And isn't it better preserved if you, if you then say, if we're going to have to sacrifice the original game parts or many game parts for, to get people up to speed to this point, can't we just maintain them and then make a new entry point because we separated off because this thing has become too big? Well, how how would you do a new entry? If you put it behind money, people are going to be like, "No, you, you're just forcing me to pay to get to this the the relevant part, right?" Mm -hmm. You need a free to play option as well. Well, that's 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 why what that's what I see is the big problem, which I'm really interested in how Warframe is going to solve this. 
in the near future and Destiny 2 as well is because the reason why stories like Mass Effect ended after three entries is because they knew that at a certain point they would not get their their money back from like publishing a new game because publishing a game was a big thing to do. Now, it's not the big thing to do to release a new thing. The bigger thing to do is to move away, move to something new and end off the thing that you're doing. So I think that I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know if they're even anticipating or thinking about doing it or how you would do it. But I think that at a certain point, the fatigue, like the franchise fatigue, which we've become aware of for the years, but is also applying to live services, which have been going near a decade or more and are affecting new players and are affecting its relevancy and are also affecting the players that have been playing for so long because there is tactics to keep you continuously invested into this thing because that's how the game survives. And that's why I think it's a really interesting uh, really interesting time for these games and I have no idea how it's going to pan out, but I think it's going to have to be something we do not expect because everything that I can think of at this moment has some really big drawbacks. I think that they need to assess the situation. I, th you know, I wouldn't be opposed if they ended up getting a bunch of gamers and said, "How would you solve this? Right? What would you do?" And then there's a debate that's held. Right? Um, I'm not saying make mastery rank up faster. I'm just saying get to um, the second dream faster. But regardless of that, mm -hmm. I I completely agree with you. There like, is a yeah, problem. yeah, no, like I, I, I understand you as well. I would one hundred percent would love for people to do the second dream earlier because that would tie them to the yeah. game better. However, if we're gonna make this first step of like let's cut all this content in between to get them to the second dream faster, then would that not necessarily I'm not, I'm not... get to a point in time where we say let's cut the second dream because then we can get to this thing faster? I'm not proposing that they cut the content. So say, um, oh god, let's say. To get to Ceres, right, from Mars, when you first land at Mars, you have to mm. do six or seven nodes before you get to Ceres, mm -hmm. right, before you get to Ceres, right? I'm proposing that those six or seven nodes are still there, but they just reorganize the actual planet so that it's just two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all I'm proposing. The content is still there. You still need to do the content, get to MR... 28 yeah you know whatever you know m arthur you still need to do the content but that's the grindy part comes later not straight away mm -hmm. that's anyway yeah. anyway, anyway we we are over time <laughs> <laughs> that that was uh oh we're not over time too bad no we're, um we're not too bad we can do some questions if you're not too strapped for time yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, Okay, so if you guys have any questions, feel free to put them down in the in the chat down below if you're watching this live. Or if you have any questions, throw them in the comments. Who knows? Maybe we can take questions from the comments from previous episodes. Who knows? We can experiment with this. One thing which I um which I think is interesting, I wanted to mention to Steam Church like a little while ago. I'll just mention it to yeah. to, to, to Pat for time um, while we're waiting on this. This is no indication of anything. Um yeah. this is just one data thing and it's not a complete data set but if you go to the steam church on warframe right now we can pull this up right here if it doesn't it doesn't want to do it whatever um yesterday or no today at 1 a.m local time here uh warframe hit a uh, hit a number of twenty-five thousand consistent players on their servers which if i go to overall time is only a number which i can find back um uh, 
in 2014. Now, this is a very incomplete data set, but it is an interesting phase where before we would have a consistently upwards maneuvering graph, and now it's maneuvering a little bit down. And this is not me saying Warframe is dead. This is just me saying I'm really interested in what they'll do because I know that Warframe is saying this too. I know that other players are saying this too. I don't know what it means, but I'm really interested to see what the next steps will be <laughs> and where we're going to go. I, I think it means Monster Hunter World Iceborne came out. <laughs> Could very well be. So I think, think, but also we're looking at one day, whereas... yeah. As the, a... the graph is showing the average across a month. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, what did, yeah. It's, oh, as, I, as I said, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, might not mean anything. I'm not saying draw conclusions from this. I'm just saying, I'm noticing these things. It's interesting. And um, yeah, we're going ahead in interesting times because, uh, yeah. Not only is an invention of something a really interesting point of what it means, but also its life cycle. And no one has determined yet how long a life cycle of a life service game is, but I think it definitely does have one. And it, No, it, it entirely depends on the quality of the product. Look at Evolve. Evolve died very quickly. Look at um, DC Online, which I think went free to play within nine months. I think it was the fastest one to go. Um, look at League of Legends. That's still really hot. Dota 2, you know, that's mm -hmm. really high and active. So I think it's entirely dependent on the quality of the product. Mm -hmm. Well, so I have to see. We'll have to see. Um, are there... Any questions? I'm not seeing any questions, are. many. Right. I, th I think it's uh, time to, to do the sign-offs. So just want to say... Um, my phone was ringing. Uh, we, have a, we, say, have a question. we have a question. We have a question. Woo! Okay. Travel saving today. What is the best slash worst game you've ever played? Light question. Feel free to answer quickly. <laughs> best is Neo Automata. Worst is... I don't know. I've clearly blocked it from my memory. Worst is very... It's, it's really hard to define best. I would probably say so far either Persona 4 or The Outer Worlds. I've really enjoyed that. Or maybe like like with Star Wars as well. Like that got me into console gaming at least. Um, but worse, it's like I've played really bad games because they were just made by people that can't make games. But there are also games that are like bad because you'd expect more of them. So I don't know. Yeah. Other questions, I think. Right. Okay, cool. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. It's been, you know. A riot, as always. There's my guy for models. Yeah, I can't point. Yeah, they're there somewhere. And you know, if you are interested in seeing this live, it happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. UK time, 8 p.m. Central European time, 2 p.m. Um, Eastern America time, and yeah, you can. Um, you know, you can check us live or you can check us out 24 hours later on youtube.com slash Michelle. Uh, sorry, Post Malone Games. Wrong. Got it wrong. Yeah, um, right. Or if you just if you just want to check out the highlights, you can find them at youtube.com slash Xenogellion. 
Likewise, you can also support the pair of us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Michelle Postma to help uh, Michelle with his many uh, video-based adventures. And likewise, you can help pay for the production of the Framecast highlights along with the Arbiters by going to patreon.com slash Xenogallion and just donate a dollar to either of them. You know, it's up to mm-hmm. you. We love you. We do. And... Um, Yeah, we will see you next week. See you around, guys.